It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. My name is Natalie Bucknell and I'm glad to be sharing some more of the great content of the Global Smart Energy Summit with you today. If you're interested in hearing more, all of the presentations can be found on the Smart Energy website. This week, we pan out to get a more international perspective on emissions reduction and renewable energy. I've chosen two presentations. First up, Jeffrey Sachs provides a global overview of the state of our climate and the transition, while Stefan Vergote summarizes action in the European Union. So firstly, Jeffrey Sachs is a world-renowned economist, best-selling author, and global leader in sustainable development. So for now, it's over to Mr. Sachs. We are, I think, with more clarity now on what to do and how to do it than at any time in the last 40 years of, of discussion of this topic. It is really, was very nice to hear the conversation we just had. Make plans, understand we're in the transformation, make clear to businesses what the future is, and there's plenty of finance around to do it. And I think that this is the basic point. We need to decarbonize the energy system by mid-century latest. Uh, if we can do more earlier, the better, because the world's already very dangerous and we're already in the climate damage zone that we didn't want to be in with increment of about 1.2 degrees Celsius relative to the pre-industrial. And we're going to have to move absolutely as fast as possible and with a lot of good fortune to stay below the 1.5 degree C. But at the minimum, we have to decarbonize by mid-century. And knowing that, it's actually rather clear what to do. And that is basically all power generation should be renewable. As much transport as possible should be electric. And basically all heating of the buildings, commercial and residential, should be electric. And for what cannot be made electric, we need to use clean power to create synthetic fuels of various kinds, whether it's hydrogen or green methane or green ammonia or other kinds of fuel energy carriers that are made with renewable energy. Now, most of the technology for this exists. Certainly, getting the power sector down to zero is relatively straight path now with still many technical issues. I don't want to dismiss all of them, but not any game breakers, deal breakers that can't be solved easily within the next 30 years. Moreover, wind and solar are already 
at grid parity in many cases and will be at or below fossil fuel alternatives uh, shortly. So getting the power sector cleaned is not some kind of unimaginable lift. Moving to electric vehicles is already clearly happening and the trajectory is accelerating. The questions are for larger trucks, for ocean shipping, and for aviation. Questions there. A lot of answers are evident, uh, but there still are uncertainties. For the residential and commercial building sector, not a huge question mark. And for industry, yes, there are some technology pathway problems uh, for steel and other metallurgy, for cement, for uh, petrochemicals. But again, nothing that is remotely comparable to going to the moon in an eight-year period like uh, we did in the 1960s or sequencing the genome in a decade's time and so forth. There's no profound financial, economic, or technological barrier to decarbonization. What there is, is the politics of fossil fuels in the fossil fuel owning countries, of which there are about 10 in the world that account for about 90% of the difficulty. They're big ones. Uh, It's the United States, it's Canada, it's Russia, it's Saudi Arabia, it's Iran, it's China, India, Australia, Indonesia. The drama is not the lack of what to do. The drama is the politics of existing incumbent fossil fuel industries that say we make a lot of money, we employ people, we keep regions going, and we don't want to go out of business. Not that there isn't an alternative, safer for the planet, better for the planet, better for the economy, but rather a powerful interest group that owns newspapers, that funds politicians, and that uh, has been able to also dissimulate for quite a few years. No, it's not so bad. We don't know what to do. There are no alternatives. If I read one more op-ed in the Wall Street Journal that says we can't afford it or we don't know what the transition is, it just makes you climb the walls, this kind of fatuous propaganda that is Unfortunately, Rupert Murdoch's media empire, basically the last bastion of this. But the problem is the transition and the politics. That's essentially where we are. And I think the climate damage is so high and the opportunity so good for the zero carbon alternatives. And in Australia, the opportunities for so many creative zero carbon energy solutions, whether it's straight renewables or creating a hydrogen economy or doing many other clever things, that it's happening. It's not happening fast enough because we have Trump, we have ExxonMobil, we have Gazprom and Putin. We have a lot of confusion and it, this was the most powerful lobby in the world for 100 years from the time that Winston Churchill put the fleet onto oil up until the beginning of this century, this was the most powerful political lobby. So it has taken time, unfortunately, very costly time to beat back the lobbying, not the real alternatives. So just to end, 
The politics has to be a little bit different on this. And I'm a huge fan of setting medium-term and long-term goals with time dates on them. So the European Green Deal says by 2050, we are net zero emissions. By 2030, 55% emissions reduction compared to baseline. Breakthrough. China said at the General Assembly last week, President Xi, by 2060, we are net zero carbon. Big breakthrough. Now we're going to have to move it faster because China can do it by 2050. It doesn't have to wait to 2060, but a huge breakthrough. On November 3, when Donald Trump is defeated and Joe Biden is elected, we will hear by 2050, we will be out of fossil fuels. Australia needs to make such a plan. ASEAN needs to make such a plan. And then the world's going to look quite different from what it does right now, because then we're going to get to work on specific timelines. The utility sector is going to understand no more coal-fired power plants anywhere in the world. In fact, no more gas-fired power plants. The automotive sector is going to understand, just like California mandated last week, no more emitting vehicles by 2035. I'd say by 2030, they're going to be selling very few internal combustion engines for light-duty vehicles after that. And I think that we're going to have turned the corner and see the path ahead. Now, that's predicated on us getting rid of our absolutely destructive president next month in the elections. I think that this is absolutely critical. The ability of a few people to make incredible damage for the world is unfortunately part of human history. So I'm counting on us turning the page in little over a month's time. If we do, we're going to see that we have a clear shot towards a solution. And if we turn the page on this, we're going to find that the nature of public discourse on precisely the issue we're talking about is going to change dramatically in very short order. I think India will come along quickly also, at least with the 2060 decarbonization date, if not sooner, prompted by President Xi's announcement uh, last week. If you've just joined us, that was Jeffrey Sachs speaking recently at the Global Smart Energy Summit. Jeffrey mentioned a number of countries with firm commitments to reduce or eliminate emissions. Since the summit, Japan has made news by announcing a move to join the club, targeting net zero emissions by 2050. As the world's third largest economy, this is a great swing in momentum in the world's efforts to decarbonise. As Australia's largest customer of coal and gas, Japan's announcement has particular significance for us. One way or another, our reliance on fossil fuel exports must change, and it's up to us whether we'll jump or be pushed. Let's now move on to the presentation at the same summit by Stefan Vergoat to get an update on European Union action on climate and emissions. Stefan is ably introduced by John Grimes, Chief Executive of the Smart Energy Council. Our first speaker today is Stefan Vergoat. Stefan is a key advisor in the European Commission's Directorate General for Climate Action. Everyone knows that EU are world leaders when it comes to using technology to create jobs, push down power prices, and clean up the planet. For decades, Europe has been learning by doing. So Stefan's going to brief us on the critically important 
EU Green Deal, the centrepiece of Europe's climate action. Please welcome Stefan Vergoet. Greetings to everybody around the world and in particular in Australia. I will make a short uh, overview of the latest development in Europe regarding climate action, uh, introducing Europe's efforts uh, to tackle climate change. And for us, this event comes at a very timely moment because only two weeks ago, Commissioner President von der Leyen of the European Commission has announced in her State of the Union the Climate Target Plan, the new efforts of the EU in order to switch towards a climate climate neutral economy by 2050. So not all of you might be um, fully familiar with the situation in Europe regarding climate action. Perhaps a few words of introduction before going into the specific proposals that the Commission is making. First of all, it is very important for Europe and I think for the global that it is science that is warning us about the dire effects of climate change. And the IPCC reports, which gather the consensus of scientists across the world, are warning us about the effects of increased global warming going beyond 1.5 degrees or 2 degrees. And that is a very important point of information for European climate policy. Because of this climate science, and we are seeing the effects indeed, I would say, almost daily in the news, the EU has already submitted earlier this year its long-term strategy to the UNFCCC, and it commits in that document to climate neutrality by 2050, which we consider to be in line with the Paris Agreement goals to keep climate change below 2 degrees while pursuing efforts to keep it below 1.5. The Commission has also proposed to the Council and the Parliament, which are the decision-making bodies in the European Union, to enshrine this 2050 target of climate neutrality into European law to really embed it in our legal system. Now, where do we stand today? Thanks to past efforts and a lot of policies that have been implemented so far at the EU level and at the level of the member states, the net greenhouse gas emissions in Europe in 2019 have already been reduced by 25% compared to 1990. And in the same time frame, our GDP has grown by 62%. And that is for us an important signal because it shows we can reduce emissions at, uh, and at the same time have a growing and thriving economy. Our target today of the EU is minus 40% in 2030. And if we look at, our, at the trajectory towards climate neutrality, it is quite clear that this would mean a backloading of action after 2030. And for that reason, the Commission is considering that we need clearer and stronger investment signals today to guide uh, long-term investments because many of the things we are building today will still be in place in 2050. So that is why we are proposing uh, to the Council and the European Parliament an update of our targets. So what is in the 2030 climate target plan that the Commission presented two weeks ago to the Council and the Parliament? First of all, it updates its headline target from 40% to at least minus 50%, including emissions and removals by 2030 compared to 1990. So it is an economy-wide target covering all sectors, including also land use, land use change and forestry. Secondly, it proposes to, to include this target in the climate law, which is currently under discussion in the Council and the Parliament. 
So to already have next to the climate neutrality in 2050, also this target included uh, in European law. Now the communication and the announcements that the Commission have made is much more than just updating the targets. It also goes into detail about analyzing uh, through an in-depth economic analysis what is the effects of such a change across the economy, what efforts are needed. We also hope that through further discussions in the course of the, uh, in the remainder of the year, that the EU as a whole will be able to update its contribution to the Paris Agreement before the end of the year to also announce this target to the UN, FCC. As regards the actions, the communication also considers specifically looking at the current state of play of the, of the policies on how the, the Commission uh, sees further development of policies in order to meet that target. So it's not only a target, it also looks forward on which uh, legislation would be required to, to move towards that targets. And for instance, it considers the, uh, an, a further review of the emissions trading system, which today covers approximately half of our greenhouse gas emissions. But it also considers, for instance, the extension of carbon pricing uh, to sectors such as uh, road transport or buildings, or even fossil fuels as a whole. And for instance, through the potential extension of the ETS, uh, potentially also through in a transitional phase uh, in a separate trading instrument. It also looks at other sectors such as agriculture and forestry. And it also looks at other pieces of energy policy, such as uh, the policy we that is developed at European level for renewable energy, where today we have a target of 32%, or at energy efficiency, or what does it mean for our legislation for new cars and vehicles and the CO2 standards that are applicable today in Europe over time. The climate target plan is actually, perhaps as a headline, is also an investment strategy for the EU economy. And that is a very important element. And accompanying the communication, there is also an in-depth analysis, economic analysis of several hundreds of pages that deeply goes into analyzing the changes that are required in our economy to meet such a 2030 target. And perhaps the most clear figure is that the total investments in our energy system, in renewables, but also in demand side sectors such as buildings or transport, in total, an extra 350 billion euros should be invested annually in the period 2021-2030, more than in the period than in the previous decades. But it also comes uh, next to investment, it also comes with benefits in terms of an important reduction of fossil fuel importance. As you know, Europe is a very important importer of oil and gas as we have very few domestic resources there. Our analysis also indicates that there can be positive impacts on GDP and employment because of these investments in the domestic economy. And those positive impacts are in particular there when the, where the economy is performing below capacity and where revenues can be recycled to lower distortionary taxes. And this is an important element, in particular as we are confronting today the health crisis in Europe that is still raging. There is an important European response to address the economic fallout as a result of the COVID-19 crisis. And the European Commission has proposed that this economic recovery and the additional investments and budgets that will be made available 
should be geared first and foremost also not only to gearing up the economy in the short term, but also to have long-term benefits and in particular to focus on the twin transition towards digital and green transformation. And for that reason, the European Council has already decided uh, on important budgets, on the European budget, which we call the multi-annual financial framework for seven years, and a new program called the Next Generation EU to in total invest 1.8 trillion euros over seven years. And a significant part of that, we hope, uh, also through the efforts of the member states, because that money is also geared towards the member states, would be geared towards sustainable investments and the green transition. And a final point I would like to make regarding the economic assessment is that we also see that there are important distributional elements to be considered and that the transition is more difficult and more challenging for regions, member states and income groups that are more vulnerable, that, are more, that have a more energy intensive or carbon intensive profile. So that is also an element that we will need to consider firmly in our further work. So, to conclude, I've given you a brief overview of the situation and the proposals of the Commission of the Climate Target Plan. We are now, in terms of the next steps, we have proposed to include that in the climate law. The discussions in Council and the European Parliament are ongoing, and we hope that the Council and Parliament can reach swift agreements to enshrine this target also in European law. We also hope that the SWIFT agreement that this increased target would allow the EU to update its national determined contribution well before Glasgow. In terms of the implementation of, the, of that target, the, the Commission will also review the climate and energy legislation as it exists today, which is based on 40% only, and to make key proposals by June 2021, which will cover areas such as the emissions trading system, the effort sharing regulation, which deals with the sectors outside the emissions trading system, notably heating, road transport and agriculture. It will also look at its regulation regarding land use and also key energy policies such as infrastructure policy, renewables policy and energy efficiency policy. So we hope that in the next year there will be also a lot of consultation of that will start soon to stakeholder consultations so that the public and the, the stakeholders can fully participate in, in drawing up such uh, legislative proposals by June 2021. We also hope that in this way we can get maximum support and having these proposals carried uh, within our democratic societies by the public at large. Excellent. Stefan, tremendous. Thank you very much. Stefan, you've been in this game for a long time. And in the ordinary course of events, you would have been packing your bags, getting ready to go to Glasgow, which was the big event, which was going to happen in November this year. Now, of course, because of COVID-19, that's not going to happen until November next year. Do you think that that's a, a net positive or a net negative? The fact that it's actually been pushed back a year, does that mean we lose a year of action or are there actually is there a silver lining in this? There is perhaps a bit of a silver lining. I, I think it is quite natural that now that the world is confronted with this health crisis, that in the very short term, a lot of the attention is geared towards solving that health crisis. But at the same time, of course, there was initially a certain fear 
that this would reduce the momentum for climate action across the world. And I think that many governments actually have responded to that in a very positive way. In Europe, quite clearly, the economic recovery is closely linked to the green transition. And I have shown you the numbers in terms of how the green transition is firmly embedded in the economic recovery. And we were also quite interested by the announcements of China regarding carbon neutrality by 2060. So what you see also is that actually people also and, and governments have realized also through the health crisis that change is necessary and possible. And the very fact actually that we are sitting here today through Zoom talking to people from across the world shows that change is possible, that we don't always have to travel across the world to be in contact, to create a global momentum. And, well, of course, it is a yearly event was good, but I don't think it will have such an, a negative impact. And perhaps we will be better prepared for making Glasgow a success. UN tells us that the world has to reduce emissions 7.6% every year for the next 10 years. Are you optimistic or are you pessimistic? Do you think it's possible or do you think it's just, it's just out of reach? I think with our target of 2030 and 2050, Europe will be doing what is needed to be consistent with, with the goals of the Paris Agreement and we will be able to avert potential dire consequences of climate change. But of course it needs global action and that is crucially important that we are all in the same boat and that global action is necessary. Hence that also countries like China, the United States and especially developed countries need to take responsibility, uh, listen to scientists. We have learned that from the COVID crisis. The changes are very important. And in Europe, we are in that situation that we have countries which are more wealthy, countries who are less wealthy. And we have been able, through things like, we have also established a Just Transition Fund that helps in particular those sectors and regions who are affected more negatively to help in that transition. And that will be a very important element. We know that it's technologically and economically possible, but we also have to deal with the societal consequences. I completely agree. I think it's such an important point. In this transition, we can't afford to leave communities behind. We can't afford to leave anyone behind. And so we need to do this in a holistic transition. You've been listening to Geoffrey Sachs and Stefan Vergoat presenting at the Global Smart Energy Summit. All recordings from the summit are now available at smartenergy.org.au. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZE website and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Time tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level.